Well, football isn't the only college fall sport that's up in the air right now. Another program is trying to get ready for a season and trying to continue its run as one of the powerhouses in its sport. We'll spend some time with the head coach of that program on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Glad to have you with us Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Troy Clarity, the host of this show, and you, the listener. So glad that you are with us here again. If you're new to the show, where you been? But still glad to have you with us. And uh, if you're an old, grizzled veteranist, we have been doing this for four years uh, of this show. Hey, so glad to have you back. Uh, you are part of the family. So many great head coaches are part of the Stanford Athletics family. And we're going to spend some time with one of them on this week's edition of the show. And he's one of my favorite interviews up and down the Pac-12, no matter the sport. Stanford men's soccer head coach Jeremy Gunn recently led Stanford to three straight national championships and they're fresh off of another college cup run last year. What are some of the things that that he's got on his plate as he tries to prepare for a season that has a lot of different variables that he's never had to face before? And what is it like winning back to back to back championships? The the tree peat <laughs> as we like to call it. Looking forward to uh, Jeremy Gunn joining us on the TreeCast coming up in just a few moments. Of course, we'll get you three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics, plus some a, a temperature check for me personally on how things are looking as far as fall sports are concerned. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. You're always welcome to do that. Give me the follow at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity, T-R-O-I-C-L-A-R-D-Y. That's the way to go. You've got thoughts on the show. Hashtag TreeCast also on Twitter. That by far is the best way to guarantee that uh, I see your thoughts on the show, on Stanford Athletics, on college sports, anything that's on your mind. Uh, hit me up. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. Believe Podcast Network, glad to have uh, them as our home. We joined up with Jem them, joined forces uh, late February, early March, and uh, we are so glad to have uh, the Believe Podcast Network as a platform for the show. Hit them up at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. If you want to advertise on the show, there's an advertising section on the website. I'm sure that we will all be very happy to have that conversation. Jeremy Gunn coming up in a few minutes, but first, three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics right now. Let's begin with number one. Well, last Thursday, Stanford Athletics began allowing a limited number of student athletes to return for voluntary individual activities, the Pac-12 uh, making it uh, feasible for schools and allowing schools to bring kids back uh, beginning on June 15th and uh, Stanford Athletics following suit uh, a few days later. Uh, and it's all in accordance with Santa Clara County ordinances and guidelines set by the NCAA, by the Pac-12, by medical officials, uh, Santa Clara County public health officials and university leaders. Now, here are a couple of things to keep in mind for student athletes uh, who want to come back on campus for voluntary individual activities. No, no team activities, no full-on practices, nothing like that. We're not at that point just yet. But student athletes must be authorized to return. They need to be screened by the sports medicine team, and they must not have experienced any known COVID-19 uh, contact or symptoms for 7 to 14 days before coming to campus. Now, they also need to do an in-person screening before they even come onto the uh, Stanford Athletics portion of the campus. So you, you want to hang out um, anywhere uh, beyond that corner of uh, Galvez and the uh, campus drive, uh, you need to do some in-person in -person screening. And um, so that those are some of the things that uh, student-athletes need to do if they want to come back onto campus for voluntary individual activities. We'll get Jeremy Gunn's thoughts on uh, how that's affected uh, his program so far to this point. It has, it's been less than a week, at least as I say this, but we'll get his thoughts on, on how that's affected Stanford men's soccer to this point. And look, it's a step. It's a step. And, and all we can do right now is take steps. You, know, you just can't take one giant leap forward. Some places have tried to do that, and they've, they've paid the price. More on that in a few minutes. But uh, it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. Let's get to number two. <laughs> 
And this bit of news came in after I recorded last week's show, but before I posted it, uh, Tara Vanderveer, Stanford Women's Basketball, welcoming two new assistant coaches to the farm. And one of them is coming home again, Katie Stedding, one of the leaders of Stanford's 1990 National Championship squad, and Brittany Anderson, who comes to Stanford from coaching at her alma mater, Virginia Tech. Anderson will work with the guards and the forwards. Steading, of course, a Stanford legend as a player. Uh, 10th in Cardinal uh, all-time list in the career rebounds. 13th in career scoring. Nabbed 10 steals in one game against Northwestern back in 1988. That is a Stanford record that still stands 30-plus years later. And oh, by the way, she was three-time All-Pac-10. And Steading also won gold at the 1996 Olympics. Coached by... Tara Vanderveer. Those two are replacing Tempe Brown, who uh, left, the, left the team to uh, spend more time with her family, and uh, Lindy LaRock, another uh, Stanford great, who is now the head coach at UNLV. So Tara Vanderveer's coaching staff is complete, and they are looking forward to the season ahead and hoping to, A, complete a season, and B, reach some points and reach some spots that they were hoping to reach last year before injuries got in the way say that about a few other Stanford sports teams from last year, too. Let's wrap it up with number three. And we're sticking with basketball as another piece of the puzzle for Stanford men's hoop schedule came into place. Cardinals slated to play in the second annual Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational that's scheduled for December 13th in Brooklyn at the uh, place where the Nets play, the Barclays Center. It's a quadruple header. Stanford will face Georgia Tech. By the way, Georgia Tech's associate head coach, Eric Reveno, the former Stanford great and former Stanford assistant who has done some terrific things off the court with the voting initiatives um, for uh, Georgia Tech. And uh, he's, he's led the charge in uh, helping to uh, have collegiate programs from coast to coast and even some conferences from coast to coast um, have their student-athletes take election day off so they can go out and vote. So Eric Reveno, we need to see him albeit on the opposite bench in Brooklyn um, in December. Other games of the uh, second annual Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational, uh, Penn State versus Florida, Purdue versus West Virginia, and Army versus Princeton. Cardinal love playing in New York City. It seems like they do it every year. Hey, if they can make it there, they can make it anywhere, right? Cardinal heading back to the Big Apple, scheduled to anyway, this upcoming December. Those are three things. Stanford men's soccer head coach Jeremy Gunn coming up in a, uh, just a couple of minutes. Um, you remember when we had Stuart Mandel of The Athletic on the show? It was the June 3rd episode, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, Stuart Mandel, the uh, editor-in-chief of The Athletic's college football coverage, does a wonderful job, and we had a, we had a really great chat um, earlier this month to kick off the month. But remember when he was on the show and I asked him at that point, Scale of 1 to 10, the odds that he felt the season, the college football season, would start on time and the odds that the college football season would finish on time. If you remember, he said that he felt pretty good about the season starting on time, gave it an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. Finishing on time, he gave it a 2. And I hated it, but I was right there with him at that time. And that was three weeks ago. And look, I, this, this whole thing has just been up and down, obviously, for so many different reasons. And I've, I was not very optimistic at all about things getting started on time uh, back in mid-April. We're starting to feel a bit better about things in late May. And then over the past week or so, I, I know, put in the season, you know, I'm, I'm not even concerned about finishing the season at this point anymore, even though I think that's going to be a big concern. Uh, I'm much more concerned about getting the season started off on time. When you see what's happening with other programs that are bringing back their student athletes and a significant amount of kids coming back and tested positive. I mean, look, one is a significant amount, right? With as dangerous and as deadly as this virus can be, and not just to the person who has it, but to the people around him who could come in contact with them. And uh, that could really ruin a lot of people's lives. And even if you survive it, it's still a pretty, it's, it's still pretty tough sledding. 
So you see what's happened at Clemson. You see what's happened at Texas, Kansas State. LSU had 30 players test positive. 30. That's insane. So when those headlines started coming in late last week, I was like, oh, boy, I, I don't know. I really don't know if they're going to be able to pull this off. Now, to this point, and as I say this midway through Wednesday morning, um, it, it's, it's been quiet throughout the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Oregon State has uh, brought back uh, student-athletes, and uh, they have not had any positive tests um, to this point. Um, and so things have been pretty quiet uh, COVID-19-wise in the Pac-12 footprint, although grand scheme of things, you look and see what's happening with Arizona. Uh, what's happening there is not encouraging at all. So with that as the backdrop, Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Meir sent out a letter to uh, Stanford football season ticket holders um, earlier this week. And he admitted that, look, there, there, there are possibilities there of, of games at Stanford Stadium where there are few fans in the stands or no fans at all. Stanford slated to have six home football games this fall, starting with uh, William & Mary um, in September, USC uh, later on in September. And he also hinted at just how tremendous the impact that hit could be financially on the athletic department if Stanford has to run at reduced capacity or no fan capacity at all. So right now, I'm not feeling very confident, and I hope I'm wrong. I want so badly to be wrong. I've got, look, I got a lot riding on this, right? Personally, financially, right? This is my livelihood. I need the fall sports season to happen. So trust me, this isn't fear porn. I'm not cheering for this. So just, just cut that. You can miss me with all that right here and now. Save the tweets. Don't want to see them. You will get blocked quicker than, than Walter Rouse. I can't wait to see him play again. Walker Little, too. A lot, exper a lot expected of that guy uh, when he makes his, his return to the football field. But as we speak, right now, and I'm looking at my watch, it's just before 10 a.m. on June 24th, 2020. If you ask me whether, scale of 1 to 10, college football season is going to get off on time, right now I'm putting it at about a 4. Putting it at a 4. I hope I'm wrong. And maybe these initial wave of positive tests are a good thing. Get them out, get them, get them out of the way now. Wipe them out now. All right, because it's, it's better to have have all these positive tests cropping up in June than they are in September. Maybe by that point, everyone will have a better, better handle on things. Everyone will have a, a have better ways to to make sure that that kids are staying isolated as much as they possibly can and doing the things that they need to be doing within that controlled environment to stay as healthy as they possibly can. I kind of hate that student-athletes are being used as guinea pigs in effect, but, you know, here we are. They're going to try to get this thing off, um, you know, hell or high virus <laughs> as much as they possibly can. Not quite as full speed ahead as the NFL seems to be, but pretty darn close. But if you ask me right now if fall sports is going to go off on time, I'd say it's about a 40% chance, about. And I so desperately, so desperately want to be wrong. You want to respond to that, you can. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. Always appreciate your thoughts and your interaction on the show. Well, after six seasons of doing play-by-play -play for the Pac-12 Network, that, that experience has allowed me to, to get to know a few more Stanford programs in depth. And one program that I've certainly enjoyed getting to know a lot more and to watch and to call their games is Stanford men's soccer. And why not? They've been terrific. They've been an absolute powerhouse in that sport over the last few years. Leading the charge is one of the best head coaches in all of college soccer, four-time Pac-12 coach of the year, has won four national championships, and three of them came back to back to back with Stanford. Always a pleasure to chat with Stanford men's soccer head coach, Jeremy Gunn. Jeremy, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful and, uh, you know, just getting through these times and uh, thank you for the generous introduction. When you say leading the charge, I'm kind of standing behind the troops. So they're, <laughs> they're the ones doing all the hard work and we're, we're just uh, 
helping hopefully orchestrate a little bit, you know? Just, just making sure everyone's doing what they need <laughs> to be doing. And it seems to have been working uh, for the most part over the last uh, eight years uh, since you've uh, taken the reins at Stanford. And, and hey, happy belated Father's Day to you. I'm sure it's been an extra special one with the new addition to the family, a recent one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, there's a, everybody said it must be awesome being at home to get it, spend extra time. And there's, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's awesome. Uh, we've just got a 12-week-old little boy, a uh, little Sebi, and then a, a four-year-old four Tomas. And so um, it's awesome. A lot of playing in the backyard, building forts and things, but um, <clears throat> a lot of feeding and changing. But uh Maybe not quite as much work as I'd normally be getting done, to be honest. <laughs> but that's a okay. I can't believe Tomas is four years old. Wow, that, that happened. That's frightening, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, let's get into some topics and some things for some points for discussion. Uh, Stanford finally lifting the curtain a little bit, allowing voluntary activities uh, to limited uh, limited number of student athletes as everyone tries to to find some footing and get back into the swing of things as much as they possibly can in the wake of COVID. Uh, with voluntary activities uh, allowed back at Stanford for those limited number of student athletes, how has that affected Stanford men's soccer to this point? Um, not too much yet. Most of the guys are still back home wherever they are, um, just training on their own. And, um, you know, we're really trying to strike that balance of being able to get prepared for the season at the right time, uh, but in the right way, being, you know, obviously very conscious of the safety of everybody. And so, um, you know, as a, as a coach, it, it's hard to really push on people to be back here training when they can be in happy, safe environments where they are currently. And so we're still trying to iron out some of the return to play details and, and really trying to figure out, you know, what's the optimum time frame for guys to be making the most of the extra training that they can get with the strength and conditioning people and, you know, and obviously getting to train together because, um, you know, normally as a coach, you really you know, there are rules in place as to when they report to me, but you, you really want to encourage people to train together because you train better when you're with other people. It's much more inspirational. The standard's better. When you're having an off day, you've got a teammate to push you. Um, but again, it, it's just tough really to know what to be saying to people at this present time because um, you just don't quite know what all the parameters are. And so being at Stanford, we've been at a little bit slower opening up phase and maybe some parts of the country. And while as a coach of a sport, that's very frustrating. I think as a person being cognizant of the details, it might be the smartest thing possible. And maybe we're being the most prudent in the country. Yeah, what, what's your sense about how the team, how the, how the student athletes have been handling this? How, how have you been handling this? And how have you been, been getting through this day by day by day? I think, you, you know, you, you have to always look at situations. And while you don't always choose what position you put in, you can absolutely 100% choose your behavior once you're in that position. And so, you know, we talk about emotions that we have and emotions are real. They're very strong. They're very powerful. They can be helping what you do or hurt what you do. But most important, the action is what counts. Um, it's been a, a, an interesting learning curve for me because the, the way I run the program, you know, when you've been going through this for long enough, you go through life, life's always happening around everybody. And you can always choose 101 reasons why you can't. There's, there's different stuff going on. Your pet goldfish has died. You've got all these different things. There's always a reason and an excuse for not getting things done. And I've been somebody, while I'm empathetic to people's feelings, I've always been somebody that's really strongly explained and pushed on the fact that, look, you can choose all of the reasons in the world why not to. But if you're going to be part of a program, you're all in. And when you show up to training during that couple of hours, you're all in again because you're there. So don't be distracted, focusing on what you're doing, work super hard. And we're always going to get the most out of each other during those time frames. And so when COVID first hit, it was very much really pushing on the guys on the, on the Zoom calls and everything that business as usual, while you're not together, you're physically distanced. We can still be together socially via the internet and really high expectations, let's not make excuses. If all you can do is train in your garage, then train in your garage and figure out how to adapt and make it special training. If you can go and run on the road somewhere, then go run on the road well. Whatever it is you do, do it really well. 
and really pushed on the guys and really continued, you know, a bit of the mantra of the program as a, a no excuses environment. Um, and then we kind of came to the realization as a staff and just talking with the guys with, you know, cause we'd be talking to them individually as well, that um, this is very different. Um, it is unprecedented and there are new challenges. And so while there was so much uncertainty and people really didn't know which way was up, we kind of realized that, you know what, um, rather than focusing our calls on training and task, which is how I've always been, um, we kind of switched gears completely and realized, let's focus on togetherness, let's fo focus on time being spent together, so that hopefully we can still be the coolest, most enjoyable part of the day. Um, you know, we, we live and work on a beautiful campus and always say to the guys, there's, there's one side of campus where they're working hard academically, then every afternoon they cycle across campus and when they cross a certain road, there's a physical um, landmark that changes, they kind of cross into the, the athletics realm, but also mentally that should change as well. And uh, we just kind of realized that that had been taken away from the guys. So they were doing Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call, you know, which is, it's tough to interact that way. We're, we're not built to do it that way. And then if they were getting on the call and having to listen to me talk nonstop, it's probably just more of the same and that's really not what they needed. And so kind of looked at the objectives and went, you know what, if, if one of our guys is talking to a classmate who's also having to go through schooling on their own, we just call after call, we, we would hope that, that we were successful in them saying, you know what, yeah, this sucks, this is really crap, but you know what, I love that I've still got my teammates. I love that that's the happiest moments in the day. And this time period has been a lot easier for me because of being a soccer player. Not because I've been working out so hard, but because we're communicating, we're sharing, and we're, we're talking about all different issues. So it's been big changes along the way, a lot of growth and learning, but we've we kind of switched it up and you know we talked about all different types of topics that hopefully were still enriching us in a way that still makes better men, makes better people, and hopefully would still make it an enjoyable time of day where you still get a bit of the camaraderie. Uh, schedule obviously has not been announced uh, to this point, at least as, as we speak. Um, as we speak, uh, any initial indications on what the upcoming season could look like from a scheduling standpoint, from a training standpoint? You might have hinted at that just a little bit. Uh, just any initial indications on what things could look like once everyone gets back in the fold? Yeah, and this is probably where the frustrations start as a coach because, you know, you just give me the rules, give me the parameters, and we'll get after it, you know, and then, you know, you've got to be able to adjust. Um, we've worked, you know, really hard over the last few years on the 21st century model where we were trying to split the season up. And um, during this time, it made sense to push for what we kind of called a COVID model where we'd be starting later and, and just split the season in half so that there's, there's less impact in the fall and then carried on into the winter springtime where uh, you'd still be able to reduce games, reduce costs for everybody because obviously there's been a, you know, a lot of concern with finances with everywhere. And we really pushed hard for that. But you know, the NCAA has, has, has come out with statements saying we're starting as normal on time and we're finishing as normal on time, which um, <clears throat> I think that's going to lead to some issues in the fact that I don't think everybody's going to be quite up and running on time. So there might be games lost here and there then. And then there's obviously the concerns at the late part of the season for the schools that are um, fortunate enough to make runs into November and then December. That might be the time where, you know, we talk about a second wave and things. And so um, it's, it's just, I, I think really the only concern for me and the difficulty is being able to balance understanding that we don't really know what's around the corner and yet you still have to be ready to get going because we might be in a fully fledged season, all systems go. And if we're not prepared, then that's not good. Um, but at the same time, we might see a season where a lot of games are lost through different things. Um, I think all the schools across the country have already talked to, you know, they're, they're limiting travel outside a conference. So the typical across the country matchups are gone. And so we've had to change the schedule to play more California teams. Um, there's still a great strength of depth of quality in California that 
but we, we really wouldn't need to leave the state to look for good soccer games. So the season's changing, but um, I think it's going to be ever-changing. And, and I'd say, I think for everybody involved, as everybody goes back to work, it's really a case of um, we're not going to be living post-COVID. We're living with it, and we're going to have to adjust. You know, it's, it's going to be, no matter what realm we're in, people are going to still be getting sick. We just have to figure out, can we manage the environment to make it as safe as possible? And can you, can you go about your business as well as you can do while being cognizant of not making un, unnecessary risks and, you know, putting people in jeopardy? You, you mentioned the 21st century model. And of all the things that you and I have talked about over the years, amazingly enough, that has not been one of them to this point. 21st century model uh, with college coaches uh, putting it on the table, proposing it to the NCAA of stretching out the season, uh, not just in the fall, but in the fall and in the spring semesters as well, was supposed to be put to a vote in April. Obviously, other things came up, and you just uh, mentioned that uh, the season, uh, according to the NCAA, is going to start on time this fall um, as scheduled. We haven't talked about the 21st century model. I haven't gotten your thoughts on it. What, what, what do you think about the 21st century model and, and how it needs to be applied or if it should be applied uh, to, to, to college sports or to college soccer? Well, it's, um, it's something that we really need. Um, college soccer is amazing. The experience is amazing, but it can really change from a sporting standpoint and also a lifestyle balance standpoint. I think the, the big pluses with it is that it, it's not stretching as, it, you know, the time of the calendar stretches, but we're actually just redistributing, redistributing our time and effort, and we're spreading it out. Currently, I think the, the best quote I could give you is uh, in soccer, we eat meat all fall, we eat potatoes all winter, and then we eat veggies all spring, and at the end of the year, we say we're eating a balanced diet. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. We're cramming everything into the fall and then doing all the individual training at the other times. Um, th this would allow us to not take away the summers from people. And so they'd be able to arrive at school. We'd start in a much more gradual on-ramp. We'd reduce costs for all the universities by not having to worry about summer housing and getting in before school starts. And then we would just basically create a model where you're playing one game a week for a shorter period of time in the fall. You'd be finished at Thanksgiving where uh, players would then be able to really focus on their finals. Um, and then you'd come back after Christmas and you'd do some of the individual time frame just like normal. And then you'd slowly work up into the spring season with a championship segment finishing at the end of the spring. And so it's not an increase in time and effort and commitment. It's a redistribution. And when the NCAA talked a lot about uh, welfare of student athletes, balanced lifestyle, being allowed to experience a bit more of college, all of this is in line with the proposal while also allowing to enhance the game because we all know the physical stats week in, week out are much lower on a Sunday because we're copying a model that you know works for basketball, volleyball, where the physical demands are different. You know, um, not saying it's easier or harder. They're just <clears throat> different energy systems. And so absolutely from as a coach, it makes perfect sense. When we did um, surveys, I think 85 percent of coaches, Division One men said they wanted it. Ninety something percent of student athletes said they wanted it. The biggest problem is just trying to affect change. And boy, do we know that affecting change in the world is always difficult since the beginning of history. And we've got plenty of topics to talk about with that currently today. Um, but it's just, it's just trying to get change. And the NCAA is a big bureaucracy. And sometimes, while everything makes sense for us, well, just even you take the Pac-12, maybe the Pac-12 would support it. But then, okay, now we're cramming more games in the spring and less games in the fall then you might, might be out of a little bit of work in the fall. Who knows, you know? It, um, so the, there's all different components that we can't always appreciate, but we are still pushing. It's been something that's tabled like a lot of things, and we're hopeful that it's something that can happen in the future. Will be interesting to see how that uh, shakes out once everything gets, uh, once some other dominoes uh, fall um, in, into effect. Let's talk about the squad. Um, last season, another College Cup appearance, uh, lost to Georgetown in the semis, and, and, and much of that College Cup run was without Tanner Beeson, the 
Brock along the back line, the fantastic center back who got taken uh, and drafted by the Earthquakes. Uh, overall, what were your biggest takeaways from last year as you guys were able to hang in there, get it together, and make that run to another College Cup appearance? Yeah, I think we, we had a, you know, another, obviously you go to another Final Four, it's a tremendous season. So there's so much that we really celebrate. Um, you think at times when we're starting five freshmen. Um, so to do what we did was pretty spectacular. And, you know, as, as coaches, it's always about the squad and everybody in the program. But we always know that sometimes you have, you know, really influential people in a squad and you look at that and you'd say, well, can't afford to lose Tanner, you know. Um, when he went down injured in the first round of conference games, we lost him for all the conference. We got him back in the playoffs, and so, he was, you know, immense coming back, and that was a big boost. But um, the season we had was, was fantastic. I'd say, as a program, we know that we weren't quite firing on all cylinders second half of the season attacking-wise. And so when you think of going on such an incredible run, it, it really champions the character and the drive of the, the players and how unbelievable they were committed to, to playing the way they did. Um, while we weren't, you know, I'd happily admit that we weren't necessarily playing our best soccer because normally to do an incredible run like that, you're flying and there's high fives all around and everything, you know. And so true testament to the courage and, and how hard the players worked. Um, you know, we say goodbye to some great guys. Obviously, Tanner, who was just a, a cornerstone of the program. Derek Waldeck, who was one of those people who just day in, day out, you could just set your watch by how hard he worked. It was just, just so consistent. And then Jared Gilby, who'd always be on the ball and, and, you know, beautiful and flowing, connecting in midfield. Matt Rad didn't, didn't play as much. But we lose some great players, but we, we do return a lot of the attacking components to the team. Um, and that was where we just weren't quite on song like we needed to be. And so we're really excited about the upcoming season. If, um, if we'd had the full spring and we'd been going, we'd be feeling so excited and so happy because we've got wonderful ideas about what's around the corner for us this year if, if we get going and if it keeps going. Um, so we've got a great returning squad. And as a result, you know, while, while always graduating on some great players, we really think that the year of maturity amongst the squad, um, it's going to put us in a good place because we have enough ability um, and just a lot of players haven't gone through it the first time. They'll be a year smarter, a year wiser. So that'll add to the great abilities they have. And uh, we're excited that we should have a really good, exciting team. And since, since we got back in January, we championed all the things that we were great at. And we said, hey, let's, let's make sure we get that attacking flare back. Let's make sure we get that attacking drive. So we've been talking constantly. When you, when you look at the great teams in the world, you look at the Liverpool right now, the, it's just breathtaking how they attack. Um, you play against a team like that, you're frightened to give the ball away, even if it's 80 yards away from goal, because within five seconds, it's in the back of your net with three passes. And so we're, we're excited to try and unleash that when we get going. Um, we haven't got to work on everything we wanted to, but we've had, you know, we did do great calls and we talked a lot about how we're going to play and the team's all on board. And they're just, they're young, they're young athletes. They want to get out there and play. <laughs> they're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait to see uh, and yeah. see how Sandy Buddha has grown uh, from last year uh -huh. to this. Uh, Andrew Thomas was a so clutch down the stretch and goal. Man, what a, what a couple of fantastic performances uh, that, that he put forth. Uh, three straight championships on the farm, 2015, 2016, and 2017. All those seasons had the same result, the same outcome, but all of those individual teams each seemed to take very different roads to get there, to hoisting that trophy at the very end of it all. Uh, how would you compare and contrast the three teams back to back to back that won it all uh, a few years ago? So different, you know. Um, the, the first championship is, is the special one in the fact that it's the, it's the first and it's that, that wonderful journey, you know, when we started as a, a group, when I came in, we were 100th in the country. And so you had that wonderful upward trajectory, that 
real um, naivety and unknown. Can you do it? Um, you know, is it possible? All of those things. And we, we started out with the program making it absolutely rock solid and tough. And then we built the extra layers on top where we became a great attacking force. And so you win a championship 4-0 in the final where you've really got a complete team, rock solid at the back, and then just devastating going forward. We graduated out some amazing people, amazing players. You know, I think Brandon Vinson and Jordan had already got national team caps before they'd even kicked a professional soccer ball. And so we lost a lot of the star power and a lot of the attacking threat. Um, and so to come back the next year was um, a so, so immensely proud of how we did it. And yet it's funny because we had no business winning the championship that year. When you think of attacking flair at that time, Corey Baird, who's an amazing attacking player, gone on to represent the national team. You know, he was only a sophomore still, and that group were just, just growing forward. Um, sorry, it was a junior by then. But um, what, what happened in 16 was we had such an amazing resolve. And as a coach, it, it's quite funny because that is my proudest moment as a coach in the fact that when you added the pieces up, we overachieved from where anybody would have put us. <clears throat> What's hilarious, though, is I probably got the most amount of criticism as a coach because we weren't perfect and we weren't beautiful and everybody wants to critique a championship team. <laughs> and it was funny because, like, of course, we're not. I know that. If you wanted to talk about the best soccer team in the country, I wouldn't have been saying we were the best quote-unquote soccer team in the country. But... The objective of the game is to outscore the opponent or outlast the opponent, whichever the case may be. And we did that. And so it's amazing what that group did when they weren't quite good enough to be able to say that we can destroy teams. And normally a national championship teams flying, you know. So 16 was amazing in that capacity. Uh, amazing from the culture and what was inside of the men that played, you know. And then... So then in 17, it really is a celebration of that core class that came through and just absolutely ruled the program. Um, the older players graduated on and shown them the way while they were a little bit younger. And then what, what that group did, to go on the immense journey as sophomores is incredible, to contribute like they did, amazing. To have the resiliency to do what they did in 16, unbelievable you know how many teams you know you get too happy with yourself after a bit of success and you get lazy and you know you, you don't you don't perform or you get too full of yourself you know and so in 17 that group had won two championships and yet they they were just still so driven and so they they had the culture and the inner strength but they were also by that time really really good um we had the rock-solid ability, so if we needed to fight, we could fight. And yet we had the flair and attacking ability going forward where we could rip teams apart. And so 15 and 17 were more similar where we had a good balance. Um, 16 was different in that it was, it was about grit and determination. So as you could see, I, I could talk for hours about all of those teams. So thank you for that question. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't talk about the groups much to my team because we don't live in the past. Right. But when we talk like this, it's awesome. And to, to celebrate what that group did was amazing, you know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, everybody, everybody rates recruiting classes. And I, I hate talking about recruits as far as they've not done anything for us. And everybody's hypothesizing on who the best recruiting class is and all this rubbish. It's all rubbish. That class that graduated out, the most successful class in college soccer ever, the best class in college soccer ever. And yet nobody would say that about them coming in. Uh, and it's because they had, they had the wonderful balance between the great skills and talents that they had, that they honed and they worked on, but the incredible humility to not think that they were all important and special and to know that they had to work really, really hard. And so they, they had just, such wonderful blend of characters that all kept each other accountable so whenever anybody was stepping out of line 
they took care of it. They kept the program driving forward. And I think as a coach, you like to give yourself credit for creating an environment. And I think that's what I can do for myself. You extrinsically put on a group of people what you want and what you envisage. But that only gets you so far. At some point, it has to be intrinsic. It's got to be internal. And when the team takes over and you can trust them taking over, that's when you know you've got a really good group. And, you know, in, in 17, there's still the odd prod and the odd poke from me. There's no question about that <laughs> on the days when it wasn't quite there. But as, a, as an environment, they took care of business. And that, that was pretty special. You've been a head coach for, for 20 years on the, on the collegiate level now. Uh, how has the, how's the sport changed? How have the student athletes changed? How have you changed during that time span? I've got all the, <laughs> I've, mellowed, I've mellowed out a little bit. Uh, I'm still pretty fired up about things and I, I don't make too many apologies for that. I love what I do. And I think if you're going to do something, do it with every ounce of energy you have. Otherwise it's a failure. If you, if you put everything into something, then you consider yourself a success. No matter, regardless of the outcome and the result, if you go all out, then you're a success in my book as the, the journey and the drive, the quest is everything. Um, I think the sport's been changing and growing immensely. Um, I think the knowledge base in the US continues to grow. I'd say the world over, everybody in the world is getting better at what they do, better athletes, better techniques, better coaching, better ideas. Um, but the U.S. was starting the race a lot further behind. And so our growth has been at a much more rapid pace as we're catching up with the rest of the world. And so the game has changed immensely. Just, um, you know, you just even look at it 20 years ago, your typical player that was in college probably didn't get the ball kicked at him in, in the house when he was two years old. Probably didn't get the ball kicked at him in the backyard. It would have been a baseball, basketball, football. Um, and so the parents of players today now quite often at least played ASO, probably played high school. A lot of them played club, you know. And so the, the skill development of kids ages zero to 10 is amazing. So the abilities of the players is growing so much. And that's really exciting. Um, and so the college game, just like the pro game, everything about soccer has changed. Um, I don't think it's in a position to overtake the traditional sports. They still are very firmly entrenched, but absolutely the growth of soccer is quite immense and everything about it is so incredible. You know, um, I'm trying to, what were the other parts of the question? I forget the other parts of the question. The student, the student athlete, how have the kids changed over the last 20 yeah, years? Yeah. Um, you know what I, I think, um, this is a fascinating topic because we always blame the generation after us for getting softer and slacker and everything. And it's always our fault for accepting different standards, you know. Um, I really think that, you know, even Coach Wooden had talked about that, you know, he was accused of having old-fashioned values. And he said they weren't old-fashioned. They were just good values that stand the test of time. And I, I still think the values need to be the same with everybody. Um, but we do need to repackage how we sell those values. We do need to repackage how we try and commit to those values. Um, and I honestly, you know, I, I start to sound a little bit old or old fashioned when I, I really try and say, you know what, the, the student athletes have to come to our standard. We don't have to drop to a standard that they think is okay. And so in, in trying to maintain standard, Quite often, it, it's still maintaining some of what I, I believe comes from maybe the generation past. Um, you know, everybody wants special attention. Everybody wants this. Everybody wants that. And I kind of look at it. You sign up for a team sport, you're not going to get special attention. You're part of a team. So be part of a team and champion what is beautiful and wonderful about being in a team. You know, I think... Um, so it's, it is different. The forms of communication change. Um, but, you know, we're at a, an electronic age where everybody texts back and forth. And, you know, I'll text the guys, but I'll refuse to have an important conversation via text because it's not real. Um, you know, a phone call is better than a text. An in-person is better than a phone call. Because, you know, with text, you can hide behind the truth. You can make up answers. You can formulate answers. Whereas... 
if you ask me a direct question right now, you put me on the spot, you're going to get a real answer. You text me, I can think about what I'm supposed to say, you know, and I, I just think those important communications, they still have to be real. They have to be in person. They have to be face to face. And so I don't like how some of the technical technological advances are changing things, you know, um, I still really value struggle. I still really value a bit of pain. I still really value having to earn things because I think if, if you paper over cracks and you allow people to have um, the answer they want immediately, I don't think you cherish the answer as much and I don't think it feels as good. And so just even like with working with our freshmen, I promise them that I'm not going to help them out perfectly their first year. I could help them a bit more and I could get a little bit more out of them their first year. Um, but I, I want them to have to struggle. I want them to have to trip over. I want them to have to dust off their knees and get up because I think that's how it really becomes them. And I think sometimes with society right now, we're too quick and too easy to put out a hand and pick people up straight away in those learning moments, you know, and I'm not talking about not being compassionate, you know, right. people are homesick, totally different. People are struggling socially. It's difficult when you enter a new locker room and you're kind of, you're confused, you know, you don't know where you stand. All of those things, I, I get all of that and you help with that. But as far as the sports performance angle, you've got to let people um, struggle and grow. And so when we recruit, we don't promise championships. We don't promise celebrations. We promise hard work. We promise difficult situations. We promise a few tears. And from that, we promise great happiness, you know, and great joy. And we've seen all of those things with uh, Stanford men's soccer over the past few years. Always a pleasure catching up with uh, Stanford men's soccer head coach, Jeremy Gunn. Coach, always appreciate the time. Best of luck. Stay healthy. Looking forward to our next chance to catch up face-to-face. -face. Hopefully it's safe and on time and in a responsible way. Always appreciate the time. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. And it's awesome seeing you. And, you know, obviously we miss these interactions. So it's wonderful talking. And uh, let's hope we're out on, on the grass before a game, before we know it, you know. He's one of my favorites. No question about it. Jeremy Gunn. Glad that uh, he could join us here on uh, this edition of the TreeCast. One of my all-time favorites. I love talking with that guy. We've had a lot of conversations over the years, and I always learn something new every time we talk. And I, I can't believe it took until now for us to talk about the 21st century model, um, uh, stretching the, the season uh, over the fall, bridging it over the fall and the spring semesters over those uh, two terms makes a lot of sense. And I've talked with other coaches, not just in the Pac-12, but also nationwide. I mean, my God, Kevin Grimes up at Cal. It seems like every time I talk with him, like a third of our chat is about the squad, about his team, and two-thirds of it is about how the new the 21st century model needs to be put into place. I'd love to see it, and it certainly would have been nice if uh, the NCAA – uh, would have been a bit more uh, flexible and perhaps pushing things uh, soccer-wise uh, to the spring for this upcoming ac academic year. But uh, that obviously not going to happen. And look, I mean, culture is such a buzzword these days in sports and in corporate circles as well. You know, you need to have a good culture. You know, you need to have, you know, you need to have everyone pulling together as a team. You know, who, who sets the tone, leadership, culture, all those sorts of things. Uh, but, and they're becoming bigger and bigger buzzwords by the day, judging from some of the headlines I've seen, um, especially in sports media over the past few days. But there is no doubt that Jeremy Gunn has installed a culture with Stanford men's soccer that, number one, starts with accountability. You know, not not necessarily, although you do have accountability to the coaches, I'm sure that they're gonna they're gonna put you through whatever you need to be put through in order to be at your best when it matters the most, but accountability to your teammates as well. I mean, sometimes you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, back in the day, Brian Nanasinkum would, would put would put the kibosh in a lot of things, you know, and make sure that that he was setting the tone. Tanner Beeson, most recently, Foster Langsdorf, or Corey Baird. You know, guys like that would set the tone. 
And they have been incredible to watch. And the way they've won championships, they haven't just gone out and won 3-0 every single night on a couple of, for, you know, certainly that 2016 season, no. <laughs> and even last year, without Tanner Beeson for pretty much all of Pac-12 play, they had, to, they had to piece it together. And they were able to do that and not just do it, but do it well. In the mix for a Pac-12 title until the very end, but a stellar showing in the NCAA tournament. Andrew Thomas, magnificent, stopping four PKs against Seattle U. Clearly one of the great moments in, in, in college soccer last year. And then getting it done against Clemson at Clemson to advance to the College Cup. Wish things would have turned out a little better against Georgetown, the eventual national champions um, in the semifinal. But, but man, what Stanford was able to accomplish, that was something neat. And it, it's, it's hard to get Jeremy Gunn to admit that, certainly in season. I can't ask him anything about the past whenever we're talking in season because he's not going to hear it, all right? <laughs> he's, he'll let you know. And that's one of the things I love talking to him. Well, that's one of the reasons why I love talking to him. He'll let you know. But, you know, now that it's off season, now that he has a little bit more of a chance to kind of sit back and breathe a little bit and to look, look around a little bit instead of being, being in the tunnel that is the college soccer season, especially as hot and heavy as it is, as intense as it is, as many games get packed into just, what, a two-and-a-half-month span. Once you get him out of that tunnel, then he can kind of look back a little bit. So, so, so glad that he could spend spend that time with us. And if you've never heard uh, Coach Gum before, hopefully you get a bit of a sense of of of, of what that program is all about. And uh, it's it's a pleasure. It, it, it's really a lot of fun uh, to watch that program do what it does. And I certainly would not count them out. He's very high on his recruiting class coming in. Certainly would not count out Stanford men's soccer in the season ahead to perhaps and hopefully advancing to another college cup. And who knows? Maybe bringing a fourth championship to the farm? Our thanks again to Jeremy Gunn for joining us on the show. And our thanks again to you for checking us out here on the TreeCast. You know the Twitter stuff by now, hashtag TreeCast. You want to react to anything that uh, Coach Gunn and I talked about or anything else that we've discussed on the show today. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. My own Twitter handle is at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity, T-R-O-I-C-L-A-R-D-Y. The Believe Podcast Network, available on your website at BLEAV.com. What, like 270 plus shows? They might be at 280 now. <laughs> Not just around sports, but around uh, all sorts of uh, lifestyle, entertainment uh, topics as well. Uh, we do good work overall, I I I'd like to think. And uh, so check them out, bleav.com. Glad to have them aboard. And uh, no matter where you are, no matter how you listen to your favorite podcast, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, we got you. We got you, and glad to have you with us. We will talk to you next week. Until then, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Be safe. Wear a mask when you go outside. Stay home if you can. And be kind. Be kind to each other. Recognize the humanity in everyone. In everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for checking us out. On the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.